Let me begin by asking a question. How many of you have ever experienced being unfriended by someone on social media? Hmm? In January of 2009, now some 10 years ago, the Chicago Tribune included an AP release that reported Burger King was running an ad campaign that went something like this. If you unfriend 10 of your Facebook friends, BK will send you a coupon for a free Whopper. Such a deal, hmm? Now, the way it was supposed to work was when you unfriended that person, Burger King would send them a notification that they had been unfriended for a delicious hamburger. This, in turn, was supposed to make them say, wow, that must be some kind of burger, hmm? The Chicago Tribune went on to report that the stunt worked actually too well. For within the first week, 233,906 friendships were terminated. And Burger King was obliged to 23,000 Whoppers and had to discontinue the ad. This is a perfect lead-in, I think, for asking how important is friendship? What does friendship look like? How is friendship one that lasts? And dare we claim that we are friends of God? Dear Easter people, friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Friends. The disciples must have thought, what's going on here? Given the context for Jesus' statement, the disciples had just had their feet washed by Jesus before receiving His Last Supper. I mean, was this not to impress upon them a posture and action of a servant. Moreover, hadn't Jesus just told them a few moments earlier in his farewell discourse on this, the night in which he was betrayed, that a servant is not above the master? Servant. This is the operative word here for a disciple in describing his or her relation to Christ and the community of faith, including. God's world. Nothing strikes us as so unbecoming and arrogant of a follower of Jesus as the pursuit of position and power, as the desire to be served rather than to serve. Plus, such an understanding is a stark contradiction of the teaching and example of Jesus Himself, who emptied Himself of all glory to take on the form of a servant. Say nothing of the fact that the New Testament is replete with the language of, guess what? Servanthood. For example, right out of the chute in the very first verse, as St. Paul writes the church at Rome, he says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ. And again, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, St. Paul again writes, 
For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as His servants. With gusto even, we ourselves sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, yes. But what a friend Jesus has in us? No. Not one of us would or should, as grave sinners and fair-weathered friends, claim such a position. However, it is Jesus Himself who bestows this gift, this wondrous naming of us as being friends, shocking as it might sound. But let's not be mistaken here. This is not some kind of superficial language like being a bestie or a BFF. Neither is this some title to get all self-righteous about. Rather, it's about a relationship, a relationship of mutuality and love, a relationship that the disciples would soon find to be defined in terms of a cross and self-sacrifice. So if you've sought to live your life as a servant of Jesus, if being a servant of Jesus, faithful in word and deed, has been the total way in which you understand your relationship with Christ, then, then, it is now that Jesus calls you His friend, that you are to understand yourself as being a friend of Christ, and this is absolutely amazing. I have chosen you, says Jesus. You have not chosen me. And who can ever find words to respond to such an amazing bestowal of divine friendship? Perhaps the 20th century theologian and martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at least comes pretty close to this definition of friendship when he writes, to know that Christ calls us His friend is the rarest and most precious of gifts. And so in Christ, God is no longer at some distance, some threatening power out there somewhere, but comes and draws near to us and calls to us, the one who has made Himself known to us in and through the sacrificial love of Christ. As Isaiah the prophet proclaims, come now, let us walk together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Or again in chapter 11 of St. Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, come unto me, draw close to me, all of you who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Or again, as our second lesson from 1 John 5 witnesses, all you who are in Christ are beloved children of God. Think of it. With Jesus naming you as His friends, you no longer need to be schlepping through life, but now skipping with joy in even dancing. So back to the text. Jesus now continues in verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. Why? Because as Jesus explains, the servant does not know 
what the master is doing and how true this is. The spreadsheets for accounts payable and receivable, deals and trades, profit margins, this is the matter, the business of the master, not the servant. But listen in again as Jesus continues here in verse 15. But, says Jesus, I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from the Father. That is to say, to be a friend. To be a friend of Jesus means sharing in the knowledge of how God works in the world, what God is doing, and how God is doing it. God is creating a community of love, of forgiveness and grace that is to embrace everyone as friends. A friend has this love and extends it toward others, but it carries a price. The world that does not know God will hate the friend of Jesus as it hated Jesus for expressing it. Jesus paid the full price for so loving, laying down His life for you, for me, for His whole world. Knowing what Jesus heard from God, the friend of Jesus shares in the responsibility of this knowledge. So perhaps to move from being a servant to a friend is uh, maybe, are you thinking about a Burger King Whopper now? Hmm? I mean, think about it. It's true. The servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but that has its upside because the servant doesn't have to take his work home with him. The servant is simply able to go to that time clock, punch out at five, Go home, no worries. But sometimes the master's up all night, pacing, worrying. You see, if the servant becomes the friend of the master, then the master's burden becomes the servant's. It seems friends of Jesus are never completely free of the duty to bear the fruit and pay the price of love. Because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father, says Jesus. But really, who wants to know? Wouldn't we rather, as Jesus speaks to us in His Beatitudes, plug our ears when He talks about, now it is that I call you, about caring for the poor, the hungry, the lost, the marginalized, those in prison. Who wants to hear this? Who wants to take this on? Is this what it means to be a friend of Jesus? And so it is that Jesus gives us a flesh and blood definition of friendship that's at the very heart of our gospel text right there in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that a person lays down one's life for one's friends. Well-beloved pastor here at First Lutheran in the 1950s and later president of Luther's Seminary, Dr. Al Rognes once put it like this, I'll never forget the first time I was invited as a friend to spend the night in the big white house at the end of the street, God's house, that house with many rooms. The food was heavenly and I was given a bed as soft as a cloud. 
But then during the night, my sleep was interrupted by sounds from the next room. The sounds of tossing and turning and even some moaning and groaning, and I could hear these footsteps going on all throughout the night in this room next to me. Well, come daybreak, I heard the person next door moving out into the hall, so I did the same to see who this was. It was God. I was shocked. God, restless and unable to sleep, the God who blesses with peace beyond understanding, the God who hushes even a whimpering child, I was speechless. And God said, I'm sorry if I disturbed your sleep. I know my groaning and pacing was a disturbance, but I couldn't get my mind off all my hurting children below. God never takes a holiday. When asked why he was always writing about mishpat, mishpat, justice, justice, Rabbi Abraham Heschel was asked, and his response, in a word, because I want to lessen the suffering of God. Let me conclude with the story of another man who shared the reality of this dream. A few years ago, I read an article in the Lutheran magazine about a Roman Catholic priest, Maximilian Kolbe, who'd been a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Father Kolbe volunteered to take the place of another inmate, a married man with a family, who the Gestapo had arbitrarily chosen as one of ten prisoners, hostages to be starved to death as the retribution for another prisoner's escape. And so three weeks later, Father Colby died. But because he gave his life, his inmate friend is still alive today in Minneapolis. And if you turn to the inside cover of your bulletin, you'll see Max's picture there. Finally, beloved friends of Christ, on this Mother's Day and every day, know that you have a friend who has even gone to the lengths of laying down his life for you and for all people upon a cross. And by his resurrection has opened for you a horizon of hope, of salvation, for good, for always. A love so amazing, so divine for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.